Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. You know, oftentimes we ask people, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? And how somebody responds to that question determines their theology and determines their philosophy. But let me ask you this question. Instead of asking, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? May I ask you this? What do you believe about the devil? Have you ever thought about that? What exactly do you believe about the devil? Did you know about 60% of American Christians do not believe in what the Bible calls a devil. In fact, there are three main theories about the devil as you come to the Word of God. You have theory number one, says that the devil is just a figment of everybody's imagination and it doesn't exist. Theory number two says that the devil is not the way it's depicted in the Bible, but the devil, all the devil is, is a representation of evil. Then you have theory number three that says that there was a time when devil was in heaven as an angelic being and he tried to lead a rebellion against God to become like God and God kicked him out of heaven and now he is roaming to and fro in the heart of the earth and here and about as the prince of the power of the air. And so I wonder, if I were to ask you, if I were to give you a test and say, what do you believe about the devil? I wonder how many people here would be in that 60% that doesn't believe in a literal, physical devil. Well, today I want to label my thoughts with these words. Detained by the devil. Detained by the devil. As we come to this passage of Scripture, please keep in mind we are keeping it in the same theme about preparing for Christ's return. But let, let me rest assured today to tell you that whenever we are alive on this earth and whenever God is at work, the devil is fighting. So I want to share a key statement with you that if you walk away with anything, I want you to walk away with this thought. When God is working, the devil is fighting. When God is working, the devil is fighting. And just in case... You are one of the individuals who are a little bit uh, concerned about what you believe about the devil. Let me just share with you some thoughts before we dive into the meat of this message. If the devil isn't real, then why did God kick him out of heaven? I mean, think about it for a second. You have Isaiah chapter 14 and you have Ezekiel chapter 28. The Bible gives us the clear description that, that the devil was one of the leaders overseeing some of the music in heaven. And if the devil wasn't a real physical being, then perhaps God is just saying, well, we just kicked out a fake being out of heaven. Or, hey, uh, we didn't really kick out a real physical devil. We just kicked out the idea and representation of evil from heaven. No, the devil is real. So if the devil isn't real, why did Adam and Eve converse with him in Genesis chapter 3? If the devil isn't real, then why did Job encounter him in chapters 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Job? If the devil isn't real, then why was David provoked by him to sin in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 1? If the devil isn't real, then why did Ananias in Acts chapter 5 give heed to the devil's temptation? 
If the devil isn't real, then why did the Apostle Paul? Why did the Apostle James? Why did the Apostle Peter? Why did the Apostle Jude? And why did the Apostle John write about him? I guess you could say that God in Revelation chapter 20 is casting the idea of evil into heaven. <laughs> I mean, excuse me, casting the idea of evil into the lake of fire. No, no, that's not what he's saying. Or perhaps uh, maybe, maybe he's saying he's not really casting anybody or anything into the lake of fire. No, Revelation 20 is very clear that he takes a physical being and casts the physical being into a physical place called the lake of fire. In fact, the Apostle Paul warned the church at Ephesus, uh, neither give place to the devil. James said in chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Why would James say to resist the devil if he wasn't a real physical being? And why would he say he'll flee from you if he wasn't real? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says, Be sober, be in your full state of mind, be vigilant, be ready. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walketh about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's... Would you say you believe in angelic beings? Certainly. Well, in Jude chapter 1, the only chapter in Jude, verse 9, the Bible says, you remember what it says? It says the archangel Michael was contending with the devil over the body of Moses. So if the devil isn't a real physical being, why did Jude write about how he was contending with Michael the archangel? And here's the one that is extremely important and why I have to believe in a real physical devil is because of Jesus in fact as, as you be I've studied it myself if you just type in devil or type in Satan in the New Testament the majority times that it's being spoken of is spoken by one person his name is Jesus and if the devil isn't real, then why was Jesus tempted by him in Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1, and Luke chapter 4? At some point in, in all of our lives, we're going to be detained by the devil like these apostles were in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Remember, when God is working, the devil is fighting. God has your number on speed dial, my dear friends. In fact, not just on speed dial, but he's got it stored in his contacts. If he had an iPhone or Android, it's there. I want to share with you a key question that I want to ask and answer today. How does God respond when we are detained by the devil? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I want to share with you three thoughts. First thought doesn't necessarily come from this passage, but we're keeping the entire context of Scripture in view. When detained by the devil, God reveals his providence. As I read verse number 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I wrote down this second thought. When detained by the devil, God requires labor with persistence. And then as I read verses 18 through 20 in this chapter of the Bible, I wrote down thirdly. When detained by the devil, God reveals his presence. Today we're going to look at God's providence. We're going to look about our labor with persistence. And we're going to look about God's presence in view of this chapter. In view of this book, in view of the life of the Apostle Paul and Silas and the other believers in Thessalonica, you need to understand this book is all about the second coming of Jesus Christ and it's mentioned in verse number 19. But with that in mind, I want to move forward and share with you these three thoughts concerning being detained by the devil. Thought number one, when detained by the devil, God reveals his 
providence. When detained by the devil, God reveals his providence. I don't know about you, but I enjoy studying the Old Testament. Well, most of the Old Testament. I must admit, I am in church today. When I get into the book of Leviticus and the, the chronologies in First Chronicles, you know, I'm not exactly thrilled about reading. And sometimes it's a chore to get through those passages. But as a whole, I enjoy studying the Old Testament because it is rich in stories and historical accounts about the people of yesterday and how they were used by God. And we can learn from them. One of my favorite books in the Old Testament is the book of Genesis. And if you were coming on Sunday nights, you know we, we studied this last year and we went through every chapter of the book of Genesis. But the most uh, profounding aspect of the book of Genesis is its typology of Jesus found in the life of Joseph. And you remember the story of Joseph. Joseph was, was raised up uh, by God, and he, he, he had several brothers, and his brothers were a little bit envious of who he was because apparently his father uh, favored him, and he gave him that coat of many colors. And so his brothers saw that uh, Joseph was kind of favored in their father's eye, so they decided they were going to conspire against him and kill him. And then they come and say, well, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a pit kill an animal, put blood in his coat, and go tell our father that an animal killed him. And we're going to sell him off to another country. So Joseph finds himself up in that pit, and he is sold away uh, to be kind of like a slave. And he, he goes and, and he begins to, to minister in the house of Potiphar. And you know the story. Potiphar's wife comes upon him and says, lie with me. She did it multiple times, and he refused both times. And the, the last time the Bible says that when he left, he, he let her have his coat because her hand was grasping upon the coat. And so he ran and fled, which, by the way, whenever we are tempted to sin, we should always run from the temptation. And so Joseph ran and Potiphar's wife accused him of desiring to sleep with her. And so Joseph go, went from the pit and now he goes to the prison. And there he was. Met the chief baker and the chief butler. And he said, one of you are going to live and, and when you do, I want you to remember me. And the other one of you, your dream speaks about how, well, sorry bud, but you're going you're gonna to give up the ghost and go on to meet your maker. Well, the one leaves and forgot about Joseph. And the Bible says that when Pharaoh had a dream, they remembered Joseph. The, excuse me, when Pharaoh had a dream, he sought in the one who was in prison with Joseph who interpreted a dream. And then he, the light bulb went on and he remembered Joseph. And so they go, get Joseph, they clean him up and he shares the dream and the interpretation thereof. And the Bible tells us that, that Joseph ends up being in the palace. And then, you know the story how Joseph's brethren, they were in a terrible famine. And Egypt, God raised up the people of Egypt to help the people of Israel during this time. And the Bible says that, that when Joseph saw his brothers, it, it, it messed with his mind. And he began to weep and he began to cry. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20, probably one of the most astounding verses in the life of Joseph. He told his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I share all that to say this. That even though the Bible doesn't specifically say God is sovereign, his sovereignty is 
clearly seen and observed from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And as we come to not just the Old Testament, but into the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see that, that this hindrance of Satan written about in verse number 18 concerning the Apostle Paul and the house of Jason and the believers in Thessalonica, God was sovereign in the midst of it. And when God is working, the devil is fighting. God was sovereign in the fact that, that, that Paul and Silas had to leave town by night to go to Berea to share the gospel over there. God was sovereign in the fact that, that the Jewish people didn't receive the word of God and they assaulted the house of Jason and they brought him before the magistrates. And the, the Bible says that God is sovereign in all these things. Because when God is at work, so is the devil. Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul told the church of Rome, that we know all things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to His purpose. In your life as a child of God, everything happens for a reason. In this time period of the Apostle Paul, they went to Thessalonica for about 30 days. And God had a purpose, and God had a plan. And His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So God is always sovereign and always at work in our lives and the lives of other people that we seek to minister to. And even though the devil was working overtime, God was working in a great and mighty way. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15. I thought this verse was very interesting. I could talk to you all day about why. Use the King James, but some of the modern translations translate the word potentate as sovereign. Perhaps it means that as well. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see the sovereignty of God manifested in this verse. And it says, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 15, we see that God is completely sovereign because he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And he is the one who is all-powerful, almighty, and the God of gods. When detained by the devil, God reveals his providence. Will you look at verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with me? Now as we move forward in this passage, I want to share with you secondly. When detained by the devil, God requires Labor with persistence. When detained by the devil, God requires labor with persistence. Verse 17 says, But we, brethren, may I pause and say this, that the Apostle Paul is writing to the brothers and sisters in Christ in Thessalonica, and he addresses them as brethren. He says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in prison. This word taken, it literally gives a similar connotation that, that an orphan is taken away from his or her parents. Ripped away from. And here the Bible says that, that not were we just taken, but we were ripped away from your presence by the discord sown from the Pharisees. And the Bible says that they were taken from a short time in presence, not in heart, 
endeavored. This word endeavored, it literally means to labor with all diligence. And if there's anything that we've been called to do in this life, is to labor for the Savior with all diligence and persistence. He goes on to say, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. The Apostle Paul had a great desire and longing to go back to Thessalonica to visit them and to help disciple them and to minister to them. But unfortunately, he wasn't allowed to do that for some reason or the other. Albert Einstein was a very wise man. And you know, he said something very astounding in his lifetime that is really revolutionary, not just in his lifetime, but really throughout history. Before I share with you the quote, I want to share this with you. When you began your career, you know, if, if you want to be smart about your finances, then you're going to save a little bit of money or you're going to invest it. And whenever you're trying to invest or save money, you're always looking for a good interest rate, whether it's at a bank or whether it's in, in a different place, a mutual fund or something. You're looking for a good interest rate to where you can make the most out of your money without doing anything or as little as possible. But he said this concerning a specific kind of interest. It's called compound interest. He said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. He also said the most powerful force in the world is compound interest. If I gave you a choice right now between choosing $1 million or $1,000, with a compound interest of 1% for two years, what would you choose? Most people probably would say, I'll take the million dollars, duh. <laughs> well, actually, you would take the foolish decision. You see, if you take $1,000 and you allow that to grow 1% every single day for one year, and you reinvest the percentage earned each day, you result $37,000. Yeah, you know, pretty good, but doesn't compare to one million, does it? But if you allow that $1,000 to grow for two years, it's interesting, you would have $1.4 million. Compound interest is very interesting. Good luck finding that, but I thought I'd share it with you. <laughs> but I share that with you to say this, that the way compound interest works is very similar to the way discipleship works. You see, when we evangelize, we are all about multiplication. So if, if one person goes and reaches one person, and that one person reaches another person, that one person reaches another person, then it's at like a compound interest, and it begins to snowball, and then the world is reached. And today, my dear friends, we see that the Apostle Paul, he was saying, hey, guys, I, I love you guys in this night, and I want to be with you. I was there for a short period of time and ministered to you and shared the gospel, and you got saved. Now it's time for you to labor as well. When detained by the devil... God requires labor with persistence. I know that God might be trying to stop you and detain you and to hinder you from doing a work in your life or in your family's life or your friend's life or sharing the gospel and ministering in some way, shape, or form. But don't give in to the devil's detaining work. Give God the ability to work in and through you, even in the midst of the devil's fighting. When God is working, the devil is fighting. How does God respond when we are detained by the devil? Well, he responds, first of all, 
uh, by revealing his providence. Secondly, when detained by the devil, God requires labor with persistence. But now I want to share with you from verses 18, 19, and 20 a third thought. When detained by the devil, God reveals his presence. When detained by the devil, God reveals his presence. Verse 18 says this, Wherefore we would have you, excuse me, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. So Paul says, listen guys, my brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, we would have come back to you time and time again. But he says this, but Satan hindered us. You know, I read that, those, those four words, but Satan hindered us. And I thought to myself, oh man, this is going to be good. It's going to be good. The commentator is going to have all sorts of stuff to say. So I got on my commentaries and I began to reach, research and read and study. And, and here's what I found out. We have no idea of what Paul is referring to. So thank you, Mr. Commentator, for helping a guy like me out. <laughs> it's always interesting. Sometimes you resort to the commentators and to the theologians and, and you're expecting them to say something great and profound. And in fact, silence is golden. <laughs> we don't know what, what took place when Paul was hindered by the devil. This word hinder, it literally means to be detained. Kind of like a criminal is detained and placed in custody for questioning. The same meaning is here. The devil detained the Apostle Paul and Silas from going back to Thessalonica. Don't know how he did it, but let me share this with you. Just as God works and speaks to us through his word, through his spirit, and through people, the devil speaks through his word, through the demonic spirits, and through people. So, either his own word detained them, or it was demonic spirits and their works detaining them, or it was people being influenced and directed by the devil. Today, there's really only two influences in our world today. You have the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, or you have the influence of the spirit of Satan. Verse 19. Here's some encouraging words here. It says, For what is our hope, this earnest expectation, this belief that is based upon the word of God? What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? When detained by the devil, God reveals his presence. Obviously, God is omnipresent. He is at all places at all times. So when you're uh, sleeping at night, or you're driving down your car to work, or you're on your lunch break at work, or you're on a hike on, on the Appalachian Trail, or whether you're at the gym exercising, or whether you're you know, doing whatever you want to do, watching Netflix or whatever. God's presence is always there. You cannot run away from the presence of God in this life. And listen, God knows everything about your life because he sees it all. And here Paul encourages these folks by saying that they are in the presence of God right now. But if he were to come back, he'd be in his physical presence again. I don't know when. 
I don't know the exact time period of Christ's second coming. Some people seem to think they know, and every time they push out dates, they are clearly proven wrong. But this passage reveals to us that Jesus Christ is going to come again, and it will be literal, physical, and in bodily form. And he closes this section of scripture with these words, For ye are our glory and joy. You know, I grew up playing all sorts of sports. I grew up in the beginning phases of where everybody's a winner and nobody's a loser. Whether you're ahead in the game by the points or you're not. And so at each season, no matter what sport I played, whether it was, you know, peewee football, uh, baseball, basketball, whatever it was, I received a trophy. And my parents still have these trophies there at the house, and there's a bunch of them. Because every season, every year, for many years of my childhood, I played at least two sports, baseball and uh, basketball. Occasionally I played soccer, and occasionally I played football. And I have trophies. And these trophies were something that I look forward to at the end of the season. And I get a trophy. And sometimes the teams, we would, we would vote on the MVP. And every now and then, they would be foolish enough to vote for me. And I would get the MVP, most valuable player, in the recreational sports league for our team. So out of 15 kids on a basketball team, sometimes it would be me holding up that big MVP trophy. And I thought I was all that and a bag of chips. But I'm telling you, it's just a piece of plastic and it doesn't mean anything. And here the Apostle Paul, he's referring to crowns. Something that you obtain. Kind of like a trophy. And then he said, our crown and our trophy is you. And how you came to know Christ as Savior. The greatest reward we will ever receive is in heaven. As Brother Dave said with the kids. Seeing people we led to Christ and influenced in heaven. Earlier I opened up with the question, what do you believe about the devil? I want to challenge you. Maybe you're unsettled about what you believe. I want to encourage you to open up God's word and study it yourself. And I guarantee that if you study it seriously and contextually and all the way from the beginning to end, you have to come to the conclusion that there is a real, literal, physical devil who is kicked out of heaven, who roams about this earth, and who seeks to take people to hell with him. And that's why Jesus died. That's why he came to the earth and he shed his blood on Calvary and his body was broken and he defeated death, hell, and the grave and the power of the devil by rising again the third day. And all those who put their trust in him can overcome in the same fashion. When God is working, the devil is fighting. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, 
please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.